0: Welcome to God's Planning, contemplative preachers, contemporary age. Each week, join the Dominican friars as they consider all things Catholic. Welcome back to God's Planning. My name is Father Bonaventure, and I am here with Father Gregory Pine of the Thomistic Institute in Dominican Council of Studies, and we're here to talk about theology, philosophy, literature, any of those topics. In particular, in this episode, we're going to talk about Franciscans and Dominicans. But first off, Father Gregor, you've been out and about these days, as usual, and I think you're coming to a cl- end of a little bit of busiest times. But what, do, what have you been up to since the last time we were on God's Plane?
1: Excellent question. What have I been up to? Let's see. The month of October, we had a uh, conference at Columbia University about the moral imagination of the novel, uh, which we co-sponsored with the Morningside Institute and uh, Columbia's Department of Philosophy. And that was really excellent, and it raised a lot of cool questions. There were presentations on Jane Austen, on Michelle Welbeck, on Willa Cather, uh, and a kind of like, oh yeah, Walker Percy. Uh, Some really excellent papers for some some great scholars, great professors. Uh, And then some other kind of various and sundry campus visits. So we have uh, a few campus chapters in, let's see, Oklahoma and in Texas. So visits to Oklahoma University, Oklahoma State, uh, Southern Methodist University, uh, and then uh, one queued up at uh, Louisiana State University in Tulane. So uh, yeah, just some, some traveling, visiting with students, kind of helping them draw the connections among students and faculty and chaplains, animating their efforts, getting some sweet programming going on uh, on the college campuses themselves. So it's really delightful to work with the students, especially since they're so energized uh, about being the protagonists in the work, uh, really working towards the intellectual evangelization of their schools in sometimes you know very secular settings. So what they do is it's inspiring it's courageous and uh it's great yeah it's just a delight to be with them
0: okay and it's it's fall time here so the leaves have turned and the weather's changing and i guess my question of course is any on everyone's mind is what's your favorite gourd
1: that's <laughs> that, it is festive gourd it's season it's festive gourd season yeah that's yeah. so true i hadn't thought about that yeah um there's nothing like Kind of distended, shellacked zucchinis to kind of bring in the bring in the new season. Yeah,
0: weird little pimple <laughs> things on them. They're really bizarre, um, creepy, but yeah, really, really bizarre. Yeah. But do, was pumpkin carving a tradition in your house growing up? This is an American kind of thing sometimes, but other some Catholics don't participate in these sort of stuff.
1: I think I think growing up, we uh, let's see, we did the go on the hayride and pick out pumpkins and then cut down your own Christmas tree. We did that for a while. Okay. And then you know, by the time we were maybe like eight. We were kind of all over it, or excuse me, done with it, over it. I don't know exactly the expression that I'm trying are tough. to say. No one yeah, knows how they work. Preparations are super hard. Physical nightmares. Um, yeah. But uh, we kind of despaired of it. So I, I think at that point we tapped out on uh, buying pumpkins and just put out the fake plastic shellacked gourds. Oh boy. Uh, yeah, exactly. And,
0: and for, for Halloween, did you have? Uh, you, we you those people like turned off the lights, or did you bring <laughs> a basket of candy out there that said? God's watching. Only take one, or did you? Were you? Were you? Did you have to man the door once you became a man?
1: Uh, let's see. No, maybe. Maybe we just put out the sign that says "Only Necco wafers here." You know, oh, knock at your own gosh. risk. So it's like yes. we were offering candy, but that candy happened to taste like chalk. Yes. No, nah, just kidding. We were, we were we were standard Halloweeners, so okay. we offered uh, a healthy diet of individually wrapped candies, um, and we participated in the lie. Which is to say that fun means less, you know, because fun size, what's fun about getting less candy? Yeah. Uh that's it's terrible. But, you know, we were we were certainly complicit in perpetrating that error. And
0: how many years did you grow up with the fear that you would find a needle inside a fun size like you had this picture we're always told that there would be these broken these like drug needles in these things and it never occurred to me like needles are like a good four inches, five inches long. And those fun size Snickers like an inch, so like we're probably okay, right? Um but it's one of those things that every Halloween I thought, well, I guess I'm just going to have to eat a needle tonight. Was that one on your mind as well?
1: Yeah, no, that, that occurred to me. Whenever somebody would be like, would you like an apple or a juice box? Mm-hmm. I'd be like, no, you're trying to hurt me. Um, yeah. You know, but Conversely when it was like. interesting, yeah. Yeah, exactly. When it was like a loosely wrapped candy, you know, with one of the corners torn open, I'd be like, mm, this will probably be this fine. This is probably yeah.
0: okay. Yeah, this is probably okay. <laughs>
1: so it only applied to healthy things that I was especially suspicious of, but yeah, candy's candy is candy.
0: Such is the paradox of life. All right, so um, <laughs> speaking of paradoxes, or not. Uh, we're going to talk about Franciscans and Dominicans, which is particularly important for us, I suppose, because we're, well, the two of us are Dominicans, um, but we also have some Franciscan connections, but first off, Holy Father Dominic and Holy Father Francis because we just have celebrated Holy Father Francis's feast day in early October, um, and there's a particular relationship between these two orders and these two men, you could even say. So, Father Gregory, what's the story behind what general these two orders and these two men, any specific stories about them, and then some kind of superficial details that people might recognize about Dominicans and Franciscans or be able to tell them apart.
1: Sure. So both Franciscans and Dominicans pertain to the same movement in the life of the church. You recall that uh, the monastic movement kind of grew up in... I do recall. The desert desert of Egypt in like the third and fourth century, and then it was introduced into the West by St. John Cashin and St. Benedict, you know, fifth and sixth century, and it continued to grow and it has various expressions with Cluniac monks and Cistercians, etc. Uh, but then in the 12th century, there's this desire not only to kind of remain home at the monastery in the countryside, but to bring the monastery as close as you could to city center and to adopt a, a preaching apostolate that would, that would be like the kind of overflow of your contemplative life. So these different friars' movements crop up. So you see the Dominicans and the Franciscans, the Carmelite friars, the Augustinian friars. And basically, they have a monastic shape to their life. So they pray together uh, throughout the course of the day. They celebrate the Holy Mass. They have a habit. They adopt certain penances. You know, they're serious about cloister and silence and things like that. Um, And, you know, a rich common life. But they also have this apostolic dimension. So they're asking the question, how do we look or how do we live uh, in the way that the apostles did with the Lord? So how do we stay close to the Lord, but also how can we be commissioned by him to give give testimony. Uh, And so, yeah, Francis is born I think in like 1172, St. Dominic is born in 1170. Francis, Mm -hmm. you know, being from Italy, Dominic being from Spain, but both of them had a a kind of similar inspiration. Mm -hmm. So so St. Dominic's inspiration grew up out of the canonical movement, which would have been like monks who would have served a Mm diocese and prayed with their bishop in the cathedral. And St. Francis is more inspired by the begging movement or the penance movement. So mm-hmm. it would have been more of a, 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 lay, a movement of laypersons, whereas Dominic's would have been more of a movement of priests. But they kind of converge on a similar point, which is to say they have a monastic life with a preaching apostolate. Um, and then we're told that these orders had a lot to do with each other, and they're, mm-hmm. you know, continue to have a lot to do with each other over the course of their history. And pious legend recounts that St. Dominic. And Saint Francis would have met at the Fourth Lateran Council held in, I think, Rome. Uh, well, yeah, Lateran. Yep, perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, in like twelve fifteen, yep. and that's often memorialized, you know, by them embracing. Uh, em- embracing the right, and then you hear a story told that they exchanged their belts, you know, or they a rope for a belt or a belt for a rope, but that's, that's probably not true. Probably
0: not true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, but yeah, right. what, what are, you you have some sweet gems? I'm well, sure. Well, so. and they, yeah.
0: So the other thing that everyone immediately knows that a, a Dominican wears white with a black cape over top, and Franciscans wear brown or gray or black, uh, depending. Franciscans are are technicolor dream code kind of people. Dominicans generally stay the same color. and It's just kind of an off shade of white or a bright white. or It's kind of shades of that. An but, increasingly dirty shade of white. Yeah, I can't say a little older. But the Franciscans wear, wear different things. And they look, so they wear mostly brown. Usually it's a brown, it's a Franciscan. Then we wear, we wear uh, leather belts with a rosary attached to them, whereas they have generally a, a cord or something, a rope. Basically with three knots for the three vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. Um, although sometimes you'll see a rosary attached to them or something. And then we both have hoods. So we look pretty similar. Some of them, have scap- we have a scapular. It's similar, but you can tell it's coming out of the same movement. And we, we of course, we call Holy Father Dominic our Holy Father. And then we have, Hol- and then Francis, because we're so close, these two Dominicans, Franciscan orders, we call him Holy Father Francis. And there's this great tradition where on the feast day of St. Francis, uh, we, we go, Dominicans go to Franciscan monasteries or convents and preach to the Franciscans. And on the feast day of, of, of Holy Father Dominic, a Franciscan will come and preach to the Dominicans. And that's a delightful way to share those kind of experiences. So there's a lot of similarities. The Order Plus also, in the in the Middle Ages, when the universities were being founded in Paris, uh, and the Dominicans and the Franciscans were taking chairs of theology, which is a really important chair. And so the two of them, the two orders, had these endowed chairs of theology. And the other professors were not in favor of that. They didn't like that. And so both of these orders had to defend themselves together against the secular masters of Paris and the universities. So I think that also bonded them intellectually. Um, Okay. Now, so let's get before this past the superficial, though. Let's get into a little more of the give people a little more meat about these differences and the and the two Franciscans Dominicans. What makes them what makes them tick? And you might say, well, this is gonna be a really one-sided sort of thing because uh, you're two Dominicans. So what are you gonna say about that? I mean, it's like the two of us talking about Jesuits or something, or or Baptists or something. It's gonna be really kind of bizarre and inflected through things that we have no idea about. But that's not true with this case. Um, uh, we both, I think, have a personal connection to to Franciscans in a way. Of course, uh, myself, uh, Saint Bonaventure is my is my patron saint, and I took his name for all sorts of reasons. Um, one because he was the first Catholic theologian I read when I was studying at Oxford, who sounded like a Protestant. And I thought, well, maybe they're okay. Maybe Catholics <laughs> are I, read, I remember reading the breviolocium of Bonaventure, and thinking this sounds really Protestant and thinking, maybe this guy's okay. So I feel like he's he was there right at the start of my conversion process, so I have a particular devotion to him for that, and the way he does theology, which we can get to later, and this sort of thing. Um... And I love animals. I grew up with 137 pets growing around. So Francis is always is just kind of in the background of that sort of stuff. You know, everyone, if anyone knows anything about Catholicism, it's bird bats have Francis in them. Okay. Um, but you also have a Franciscan connection before, in a sense, being a Dominican as well. What's that about?
1: I did indeed. Uh, so I went to Franciscan University of Steubenville, which is run by the TOR Friars. Plug. Third order regular. Plug. Um, yeah. So when I went there, it was... Very much it was. It was a they promoted a culture in which you were encouraged to discern your vocation, regardless of whether or not it was a Franciscan vocation. So I certainly benefited from the preaching, the teaching, uh, you know, the sacramental ministry, uh, the encouragement of the Franciscan friars there. It was really just yeah a wonderful setting and a, a really blessed time to be there. The president uh, of the university while I was there was Father Terrence Henry, mm-hmm. who's just a gem and um, just a really kind, affable, generous man, and. There were other, you know, other friars who kind of punctuated my experience there. Father Gregory Plough was the cross-country chaplain. Father Don Frinsco was my dorm chaplain who always, he would buy a matzo of cigars every month with his personal stipend money and anytime mm-hmm. he'd sit out there smoking a cigar he'd be like oh wow you're smoking a cigar and he'd be like yeah you want one and then he'd hand you the keys to his room and tell you to go grab one off his desk so he was great he was great at you know kind of encouraging us to come together over things that mattered and have sweet conversations so i mean just like my my whole experience there yeah. for four years was, was punctuated by uh, all of these encounters with franciscan friars who were just incredibly good to me so I have great appreciation.
0: That's great. Okay, we're, well, with the appreciation that we want to talk about some differences here, so <laughs> I, want to get, I want to get into the, the meat of this, but so we're going to be back in just a minute after this break to talk about what are the theological, philosophical, spiritual differences, you could say, or differences emphases between the Franciscans and the Dominicans. So hold on, we'll be right back. This is God's planning. Get up to date on all our latest episodes at opeast.org slash godsplaining. And we're back. (laughs) This is Godsplaining, Father Bonaventure and Father Gregory Pine. We're speaking about the Franciscans and the Dominicans, these two different orders, but yet you could say uh, brothers, or at least maybe siblings or something from the same mother, um, fraternal twins. I think I called them one <laughs> time. Not identical twins, but fraternal twins. We're so close. I've heard
1: them called cousins.
0: Cousins. That's fine too. Yeah. yeah or well, it's not to love. Seventh removed or something. You know. <laughs>
1: um, brothers of the Lord. You the know, brothers that's an embracing br- term. A good scriptural term.
0: All these sort of things. Uh, but brothers are still different, or cousins are still different. So these, I think, the Lord gave these two orders because they have different emphases, and because He's infinite, and so finite things only express Him in certain ways, and so there are some distinctive. Elements to each of these orders that are different, not opposed to each other, but complementary. So the first one I thought we'd talk about is is poverty. For instance, I think this is so clear. St. Francis has this vision of, of Lady Poverty as who he's always going after it for, um, and it's really important. He's and the Franciscans are mendicants, so they're they're poor begging friars. Dominicans also take uh, vows of poverty, um, and it's a uh, poverty is important to Dominican life. We're mendicants as well, so same thing, but. At the same time, I think there is there's a distinctive difference about there's a difference between how Franciscans see poverty and how Dominicans see poverty. What do you think? Could you explain what do you think that is on just broad brushstrokes?
1: Sure. So first thought is I think of G.K. Chesterton's book Saint Francis of Assisi. Who wouldn't? And I know exactly what's not to love. And a lot. He, <laughs> <laughs> he tells a a charming anecdote in the life of Saint Francis of Assisi when he was minding the shop for his father, uh, Peter Bernardoni. And at one point, uh, a gentleman, uh, a beggar came up to ask him for tuppence, uh, to use an anachronistic British term. And Francis kind of put him off, at least initially, because he was transacting a deal with somebody who was, you know, paying customer. Uh, And so he finished up said transaction, and he turned back to the beggar the beggar man had left. And Francis was very struck by this. Uh, He felt embarrassed. He was, yeah, just ashamed that he hadn't attended better to Christ's poor. And so he took all of the yields of the day and he careened through the streets of Assisi until such time as he had found the beggar and then bestowed on him all his riches. And Chesterton goes on to say that Francis never stopped careening. So it's kind of like an iconic Franciscan is of Francis dispossessing himself in the presence of the bishop and his father. Um, and there's a kind of like romantic or mm. yeah, just like an especially yeah. spousal sense that poverty is embraced in the Franciscan life, you know, so they refer to poverty as lady poverty, Mm -hmm. which isn't to say that like poverty is the very point for which they've come. They wouldn't, you know, Franciscans wouldn't say that, but that their ideal and their self-understanding is very much wrapped up in poverty. Uh, And especially as it is expressed in Francis's Testament, Um, So a lot of the divisions that have happened in the Franciscan order often fall along Mm. lines of poverty. How strictly is it to be interpreted, right? Because it can always be interpreted more strictly. Um, And in light of that, there's always going to be this upsurge or this resurgence of a kind of apostolic idea, which means poverty of the strictest stripe. So for the Dominicans, by contrast, maybe you'd be better at talking about this. What about Dominican poverty?
0: Well, Dominicans, we, we care about poverty. And I think you're right to say that poverty isn't an end for the Franciscans. It's not the goal. The goal is Christ. Um, but poverty has this—it's it, it's closer to him in a way. Dominicans, it strikes me, poverty is, is more of a means. It's, it's something that we undertake, not because it's so close to, to Christ, the poor Christ, is the, the way the Franciscans see it, but because by dispossessing ourselves, we are more attentive to the Lord and what he might call us for. So it's for a different aim, which is not just Christ, but also for study, for instance. Um, so, cl- classic case— with the franciscan's um, early on it was a real question of whether they could own books so whether they could actually to t- to be st- scholars whereas dominicans it seemed quite early on that that like books for instance were not possessions or wasn't a f- an offense against poverty you don't find in the dominican legislation a lot of attacks against the the dangers of having books because well of course the aim is to teach and to preach Christ and for salvation of souls, so you need these things. So, of course, they would be required um, for us to 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 do pre- to do our, to have complete our mission. So, poverty is always tailored to the situation. Now, you could I mean, you can go on the really extreme thing and say, well, when you're with a lot of you know a lot of rich people, well, you know, I mean, we should just be drinking, you know. Uh, the highest level scotches and sp- smoking the best cigars and driving the best cars, because that's, that's to aim for the mission. How do you preach to someone on a Cadillac? <laughs> so you don't want to go the, the other way, but it poverty is more, it seems like a means for the Dominican. It's an important aspect of our conforming to Christ, but always in relationship to the mission. Is that, do that, you have something to say about
1: that? I like the idea. Yeah. If, um, you know, the vows, St. Thomas conceives of the vows as means. So he'll talk mm. about like why these means, why are these especially effective in making a person holier or, or having a person more and more given to Christ? And he says, well, uh, poverty, chastity, and obedience just kind of taken together. They're really good at, you know, healing the effects of original sin. Uh, but also like curbing your consideration for secondary goods. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he says finally, like the, these vows also offer the whole person. So they, The image that he uses there is of a Holocaust offering, a whole burnt offering, because by poverty, you give your possessions by chastity, you give your body by obedience, you give your you give your soul, you give the whole thing to God. But ultimately, he's thinking about this or conceiving about conceiving of the vows as means, you know, it's like it's a way towards charity, which is the real substance of Mm. Christian perfection. It's a way towards the Lord. Um, so there's a, there's a little line in St. Thomas's treatise on the states of life at the end of the second part of the second part of the Sumer where he says that perfection does not so much consist in poverty as in the following of Christ, the sequela Christi. Mm. So for him it's about this and that these, you know, we adopt poverty, chastity, and obedience because they promote our following of Christ. Yeah.
0: Okay, now I want to get another uh, distinction here between Franciscans and Dominicans and a big, we're going to use a big word here, you could say the difference between intellectualism and voluntarism. Or we could bring it down and say the difference between uh, the, the primacy of the intellect or the primacy of the will. Or we could talk about um, the head or the heart. There's all sorts of different ways of going about this. But theol- which one is, is, in a sense, privileged, the head or the heart or the mind or the will, and or, or that sort of thing, will have ramifications about who the person is, uh, how to preach to that person, especially what theology is. Um, and then who God is. So, what I think would do is turn over and say, well, what for the Dominicans, what's the, what is the, for St. Thomas and the Dominican tradition, what is the relationship of the intellect and how that orders these things? And then I'll talk a little about the Franciscans and their, how they, or how the will, as important, orders things as well. So, go ahead, Father Gregor, what's, what what is the what's the Dominican difference there?
1: Sure. So um, and in so so speaking, I'll, I'll anticipate like kind of some of the Franciscan mm-hmm. things and try to work them in so that way it doesn't come out as like unnuanced and whatever. Yeah. Um, so St. Thomas is generally of the mind that you can't love what you don't know. Mm-hmm. So and this is immediately appealing to our experience because I can't be inclined to read, um, you know, Thoreau's Walden Pond if I've never heard of it, or I can't be inclined to take. Uh, Trader Joe's gummy vitamins if I've never seen them before or mm-hmm. if I've never encountered them, if no one has testified. So I can't actually be inclined to something of which I have no experience. Um, so this this applies basically, you know, at every level of, of human existence. So for him, he accords a kind of primacy to the intellect because the intellect is what informs the decision of the will. So in one sense, the will is, you know, it's, it's prior to the intellect because the will is the power that initiates the movements of all of the powers, you know, so like intellect and will and emotion, you know, sensation. Uh, but that's in the order, he says, of like kind of agent causes. That's, the, that's in the order of moving things. But when we talk about the, the order of how do we give shape to our thoughts or how do we give shape to our actions of forms, he says that the, the intellect is prior because it's the type of thing that actually gives us content. It's the type of thing which makes it so that our decisions are rational, reasonable, and informed. Um, So this will be like really important when it comes to a description of human agency. So it's not like when you make a human act, you know, you can think about it like you conceive of some end that you want to pursue. Like I want to be uh, a place kicker for the Indianapolis Colts. Okay, And then you judge like whether or not this is attainable. Like I'm a decent soccer player. You know, I bet you I could, you know, tailor it to kick a football, even though it's a slightly different shape. Um, And then you like form a kind of intention, you know, like I'm actually going to work towards this, maybe make a planning or like training regimen and, um, you know, see if I can go to the combine next year. And then you you know you consult your friends as to how best to do this, you talk to some other professional place kickers uh, and then you you know kind of cobble together a plan as to what's best and then you pursue that plan and then you're know, like you're actually you're in the driver's seat. You're you're conducting your life. So all along the way of of Sounds any exhausting. it does sound exhausting. I've no, no. I've no desire to be a place kicker. I'm a rubbish yeah. at soccer. We make um,
0: decisions in that way, but yeah.
1: Exactly. Um so <laughs> uh so like all along the way there are acts of intellect and acts of will. Yeah. You're conceiving of things and then you're pursuing things. But in every act, it's not like first conceive, then pursue, Mm -hmm. but rather it's you conceive and pursue together. Mm -hmm. But the conceiving has primacy of place because it's what informs the pursuing. So when the Dominicans, you know, or St. Thomas Aquinas makes the argument that like, you know, the intellect is first, he's not saying that we're like – Um, armchair intellectuals and then when Mm -hmm. we get to heaven we're going to be like critiquing the vision of God like this could be better in this way or you know like worse Mm -hmm. in that way you know like it's not that we just all are nerds by disposition or by nature but it's rather that whenever we love something we love it as this type of being which has a mind with which to know so Mm -hmm. what are your thoughts about SCOTUS and others?
0: Yeah so interesting enough um, the Franciscan tradition doesn't, of course, dispute this, that the intellect has to present things to it. But what's distinctive about the Franciscan tradition, especially with Duns Scotus, but Bonaventure has this too, um, and William Lockham of course, takes this to a radical extent, is that even that for the will to be free, you must be able to choose otherwise, even when presented with something that is perfectly good in this sort of way. So there's a radical freedom of the will. Why is that important? Because the Franciscans think that loving is the like the is the fundamental act for them and they and they they worry the Franciscan tradition worries that the primacy of the intellect such that it's it's presenting things in their formal shape necessitates or makes necessary what the will chooses mm. so that um, you get this if you read if you read the, the Franciscans after Thomas, who are not challenging so much Thomas, as you say. For Thomas, it's a matter of, of combining the two, working together. But some people say, oh, well, actually, it seems like if it's just the intellect, then it should just present. And the will just kind of ratifies that. Now, Franciscans are raising objections to this, not Thomas per se, but to the others, the pure intellectualists, and saying, look, if the will doesn't have the ability to choose otherwise in any situation, then you're not free. And if you're not free, you can't love. Hmm. You're just a natural creature. So... That's their, their primacy of the will is over, over the, not over the intellect, but in a sense that even when the intellect, no matter how formed, you can always choose otherwise, is because they want to privilege freedom uh, and, and the ability to love over that. Now that has interesting ramifications for, for instance, like theology. For a Franciscan, when you ask what kind of science, what kind of knowledge is, is, is theology, a Franciscan's going to say, that it's actually a practical and affective. So Scotus calls it a practical science, first and foremost. It teaches us how to how to act towards God and others. That's the whole point of the shoot and match, because that's how we f- act upon the will, so it's love. Um, and Bonaventure is going to say it's an affective science because it's how our heart is moved towards action, so it's a matter of the will again. So the focus of theology for Fran- in the Franciscan tradition, because it emphasizes more on the loving and the freedom in that, um, they'll have it as a practical kind of science. Now, the Dominicans, because of the of the the fusion, or especially St. Thomas, we should say St. Thomas's. here's a, another caveat, of course, is that just like Dominican Franciscans, there's plenty of different orders. There's no one Franciscan school. There's lots of Franciscan thinkers. In the way that there is kind of a Dominican school, the following Thomas Aquinas. When you say Dominican, you can almost always mean Thomas Aquinas. Where you say Franciscan, you could mean Bonaventure, you could mean... Occam or you could mean Scotus you could mean other other Franciscans so it's a little bit different But there is a, in the Dominican difference is the theology isn't a practical science It's more of a speculative science which makes it sound like it's kind of a science for eggheads And every, <laughs> you, you mean just initially you think like oh the Franciscans seem much better right a science of love and acting And that's what we should be doing of course because faith hope and charity are the greatest things But of course charity is the thing that will remain in heaven but that's not what Thomas means by a speculative science. How does, how, what does Thomas mean by a speculative science based on this kind of Dominican principle of the intellect and priority?
1: Sure. So when St. Thomas, this is like at the beginning of the Summa Theologiae, so it's the first part, the first question, some of the first articles are are dedicated to describing what sacred doctrine is. Um, so for him, theology is a matter of doctrine, it's a, it's a kind of holy instruction. And uh, for him, it's also a wisdom. So wisdom is the gift of the Holy Spirit, which gives us a kind of sympathy with the very mind of God. Uh, and in that we don't find something to be done, right? We, fa- we, we encounter something to be beheld. Mm-hmm. So for St. Thomas, the point is principally one that's contemplative. Mm-hmm. Um, so for him, the difference between a speculative science and a practical science is that in a speculative science, it's the type of thing where there's no further action items. It's just the type of thing that is delightful to behold. It's delightful to know in and of itself. Whereas with a practical science, you're thinking about it because you want to employ it. Mm-hmm. Um, and he thinks that like, you know, for instance, if you're an architect, you, you study house building for the purpose of drawing up blueprints and handing them on to the contractor. But he says with God, um, it's the type of thing where we can just rest. We can just behold. It's the type of thing where we can just be present to the Lord, have him be present to us. And there's no, yeah. I mean, it has mm-hmm. kind of moral implications. Of it transforms our interior life. Yeah. It sets us about you know a new horizon or it sets us about a life in which there's a new horizon and decisive, decisive direction, direction. bingo yeah. um but principally it's 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 god is to be beheld mm-hmm. um and and you know you can think about how saint thomas says like we we can't comprehend god right we can only ever be like overmastered by and om- almost overwhelmed by god but in that is our salvation um so yeah, it's just like a kind of simple point about
0: different between a soup kitchen and a music and a art museum, I guess maybe or something. The two visions of, of theology, right? One acting something, but the but the the art museum. I mean, who would not? Why would you have soup kitchens unless you had art museums? Because um, they're the that's the to be able to gaze on the on the height of, of beauty and that sort of thing. That's that's what Thomas is going for. I think that's right. Now um, another difference. Um, maybe this is one to good kind of round off on. Uh, is is. Dominican and Franciscan's feelings about re- the reason and revelation issue. So, uh, obviously, both are in favor of reason. Uh, they're both in favor of revelation in terms of, and by, by that I mean reason in terms of thinking about God in, in with, with our human minds and revelation as receiving uh, the divine revelation, the scriptures, this sort of thing. So, basically, scriptures versus philosophy or logic, this sort of thing. So, they both care about both these things, just like the intellect and the will. It's not they're not. Uh, both, but they, they both, but they have different persuasions on them, and the Franciscans have a little more suspicion. I would say my suspicion is that a little more suspicion to reason. So, like Saint Bonaventure, for instance, when he gives lectures near the end of his life to his Franciscans in Paris, um, it's called the Collations and the Hexamer on the Six Days. Um, his job is he's, he's chiding his Franciscans students to be careful of aristotle it's warning to aristotle He has this great thing on the sixth day i think it is um where he calls where he says uh that with aristotle reason has gone on rampage and metaphysics runs riot (laughs) and his his concern about that is is to say that look reason is good but it can go too far and you need to be aware of this and i think it harkens back to saint francis in the way he preached when saint francis goes out to the the um uh the uh, over to the Saracens, right? He goes over the Middle East. And they want to have a dispute about, well, is, is your God the true God or not? Um, he says, well, can I... I'm going to use my scriptures for that. And the, the Muslims say, well, no. And uh, say, we're, we're going to have to do this pure reason, by reason alone. And he says, I can't do that. Forget that. So bring out a fire, and we'll just walk through it. <laughs> and whichever one survives, that's the true God. And at that point, they say, "Well, maybe we'll just let you go." Um, but that's but that's the deep sense of, of like you can't reason, reason is insufficient, or at least it's it's insufficient compared to revelation in terms of, of of thinking about God. The revelation always has the priority in this way. Now that's so that there's a Franciscan suspicion of of the of the human mind in a, in a certain sense. I suppose that's different from the from the Dominican thing, um, although we are suspicious of it. But how would you how would you clarify Dominican's say vision or perspective on that?
1: So I think that uh, just a couple of small points is this. A lot of this kind of stems from the Augustinian tradition. So mm. Saint Augustine teaches that original sin has really deep and you know thoroughgoing effects on human reason, on human appetite, and as a result of which we need to subject our desires, we our thoughts and desires to criticism. Um, so we can't just kind of follow our thoughts or follow our desires, uh, without a kind of suspicion that they may be misinformed or that they may be misled. Um, and then, you know, the, the Franciscan tradition really issues from that. And in the Dominican tradition, there is on the one hand, a kind of confidence in the healing power of grace, Mm -hmm. right. And in the, the ability of reason to operate well, uh, and healthily under grace. Um, but there's also the sense too, that like God has created us to operate by our own proper principles. And God God made us to be rational animals. Um, and if that is the case, then it, it's kind of silly if sin so totally devastates our reason as to render us ineffective at what we were made to do. So yes, we have lost grace, but we haven't become a specifically different thing. Like we were one thing before the fall and an entirely other thing after the fall. Rather, we're the same thing. And though our reason is you know darkened by ignorance and the effects of the fall, yet it still has a kind of power to access what is true and to enunciate that. Um, So, yeah, I would say with St. Thomas, you have a kind of confidence in the healing power Mm -hmm. of grace and the elevating power of grace. Um, And then in secondary causes, really to operate by their own proper principles under the primary cause, not divorced from God in any way, shape, or form, but rather uh, like wed to God's original intention.
0: I'd say as we close out here, I'll ask one more question to Father Gregory, which is um, why both Holy Father Francis and Holy Father Dominic, what do we have to learn from, what's one thing you take away that you say, it'd be, it'd be worse if we didn't have both of them?
1: Uh, so I think gospel intensity, gospel radicality is the kind of thing that I'm always uh, chastened by in the Franciscan tradition. Like you just mm-hmm. can't dismiss the fact that um, these men want to live uh, intensely, um, idealistically, passionately for the Lord, with the Lord, in love of the Lord. Um, and it, it really, it's, it's a, it's a check on your own rationalizations. Like I'm loving mm-hmm. the Lord, but I'm, I'm carving out this particular part and I need to have this thing. Cause I got to take care of myself. It's like, no, you just need Jesus. That's it. You need to follow naked, the naked Christ. So that for me, just personally, that that's a, a great gift from the Franciscans. How about you?
0: Yep. That's the, I think the Franciscans element on aspect of, of revelation, the reminder of that and the reminder that Loving is is a part of knowing, so that loving and knowing, knowing and loving are combined. I mean, St. Paul talks about this knowers and lovers, and that's what we are. And as Dominican, I can always get in, inclined, I could become too intellectualist, I could say. And the Franciscans just stand there and they say, Well, so what? You know, and I think that's a good witness. So, the affective dimension, as well as the speculative dimension to theology, they're, they're good for that. Well, it's been a good time with God's planning. Next time you see a man in a brown habit, that's a Franciscan, probably, or a man in a white habit, that's a Dominican. Say hi to both the Holy Father Francis, Holy Father Dominic, and enjoy the wealth of the saints that God has given to His Church and all the gifts that He uh, gives through them. So, we'll see you again later. Cheers.
1: Thanks for listening to God's Planning, a work of the Dominican Friars of the Province of Saint Joseph.
0: Visit us at opeast.org.